The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are now going to turn to God's Word together. We are in the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, if you uh, have a Bible, we are going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you're not familiar with the Bible, it is about, it's from the back cover, about 100 pages in from the back cover. It's number one, Corinthians that's where we are at, um, the book of 1 Corinthians, and we are in chapter 14. Again, if you're not uh, familiar with the Bible, that is the big numbers are the chapter numbers, small numbers are the verses. I say that not to talk down to anybody, but to say the Bible is a confusing document, and where are we at in this whole thing, I'm trying to give you some uh, road marks for where we're at. So we are in this whole series on the book of 1 Corinthians, and we've entitled it Good News for Bad Christians. We've been getting to know this church in Corinth. And we've been getting to talk uh, to Paul about what's going on there and finding God's help and grace for us. Um, oh, okay, great. So just as a quick, quick, quick update, this is how we're kind of alerting, uh, hey, if you've got a kid in children's ministry, we're testing that out or whatever. So that way we're not having to do the back and forth. So if you see your children's number up front, <laughs> please help with taking care of them in the back. But... <laughs> Nobody's judging you. I'm not saying anything. Um, so, with that said, we are in the book of 1 Corinthians. We are now in chapter 14. Um, we are looking at chapter 14, verses 1 to 28. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the first five verses for us of this section, and then we have, we're going to work through it as we preach through it, and then we will ask for God's help as we look at this together. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 to 5. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in the tongue speaks not to men but to God. And no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the one, speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in the tongue builds up himself but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Let's pray. Father, as we look at these passages and consider these gifts that seem a bit weird and extraordinary and maybe make us feel a bit uncomfortable, Father, I pray that we would be filled with a yearning, more importantly than just simply the gifts, to know you, to enjoy you, Father, and to be encouraged by your love for us. So I pray you would accomplish these things because the Spirit loves to do it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we are talking about, as you have maybe already picked up, we are talking about this thing called the gift of tongues this morning. Um, the gift of tongues is for some of us already you are feeling like really excited, like I've been looking forward to this sermon for the last however many months, and you've got problems. Um, the others of us are thinking, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? We are talking about this weird religious thing called the gift of tongues. Understandably, you're a little bit nervous. What are we going to be getting into? I promise at the end of this, the culmination of the sermon is not going to be, now everybody say yabba dabba do and we've spoken in tongues together. I promise that's not the goal of this sermon. We are looking at this passage um, because often the gift of tongues is kind of treated like that weird uncle in your family that kind of gets shifted to the, the end of the table at Thanksgiving dinner because, you know, he's a part of the family, so he's got to be there. Um, he's, got, he's got something to say, but, you know, he's a little bit into conspiracy theories, and so you just kind of relegate him by the safe people at the end of the Thanksgiving table so that he's not around the children and not influencing them, you know. The gift of tongue is often treated like that, and what we want to do is we just kind of want to dive right into this passage so that we understand what exactly is going on with this gift, because we actually think that it's important for us. I think it's a part of the life of the church. Now, some of you might come from church traditions where the, the perspective would be the gift of tongues has long since ceased once the apostles died and were buried and turned to dust. The, the gift of tongues, along with them, has no longer been a part of the life of the church. Understandable, a respected part of the church tradition, and no way do I mean to diminish our friends and brothers who hold that perspective, or you, if that's your view. Uh, what I do want to say is kind of getting right out of the gate, I want to point to verse 1 and say, here's why I think the gift of tongues is a part of the life of the church that we need to consider, not merely as an academic exercise for understanding the church, 
but also for understanding our lives in Jesus. So you have verse 1 here of chapter 14, pursue love, which he's just talked about in chapter 13, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And what's going on here is that you have him making two commands, right? Uh, Pursue love, right? So like Peter reminded us in the last two sermons, the uh, love is not a spiritual gift. It's a command that we must all strive to grow in as a life of of a believer. And then he meets it with a second command. It's not a suggestion. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Earnest is a command. It is a command that this is a part of your life in Jesus and is as a community together. You must do this. And I find it hard to believe that God's going to give us a command, especially in the, in the New Testament, that is no longer relevant to our lives after the apostles die. It would seem a little bit unfair to the Christian life for God to give us a command that he does not expect to then equip us to follow. So that is my little brief on why we think that this gift is important to the life of the church. If you would disagree with that or you want to ask further questions, we have a Q&A time after the service, so you can text those questions right to Jay. I promise I will do my best to fumble my way through them at the, after, the, after the sermon. Um, but as we are looking at this, we need to obey this command to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So if one of those spiritual gifts is the gift of tongues, how are we going to define what the gifts are or what, those, um, what the gift of tongues are? I believe I have some definitions here. I was a little bit, uh, here we go. Okay, so here's how I want to throw out a definition of the gift of tongues and then the interpretation of, the, of tongues, and then we're going to kind of dive right into the passage and see how these things are lived out. The gift of tongues, prayer or praise and words not understood by the speaker, so if that's me, for, the, for their upbuilding and in intimacy with God, and ultimately the upbuilding of the church through specific words of encouragement. That's why I want to... Uh, define the gift of tongues. The underlined parts, we, we define the gift of tongues back in chapter 12. The underlined parts are places where I've kind of modified that definition to help us in our understanding of these are for our upbuilding and intimacy with God and ultimately for the upbuilding of the church through specific words of encouragement. And then the gift of interpretation, it's not really changed. The spirit-filled ability to report the general meaning of, the spoken, of something spoken in tongues for the good of the church. Pretty straightforward. So, as we are looking at this passage, here's what I want to make our main point as we look through verses 1 to 28. The gift of tongues is primarily about finding expression to our intimacy with God. So, this is the main point of the sermon, this is the main point of this passage. We want to, if we are to obey this command, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. The way the gift of tongues is spoken about and described for us in this passage is... Pursue the gift of tongues to find expression to our intimacy with God. If being a Christian is anything, it's about knowing, loving, and enjoying God. It's not about being religious. It's not even about coming to church on a Sunday morning. It's not about going to small groups. It's not about tithing. It's not anything else. The primary heartbeat of what it means to be a Christian is to know the love of God and to love God back. That's what it means to be a Christian. And so if we are going to be receiving this gift from God, which is what it is, it is a gift to help facilitate that relationship with God. It is not a requirement. It doesn't come with the membership agreement of being a Christian, but it is sometimes a gift that you get along the way in finding expression for our intimacy with God, which means that God is trying to help us find words to know him, love him, enjoy him, and express him to other people. That's what's going on with the gift of tongues. So... What we're going to do is we're going to revisit verses 1 to 5 as we begin to kind of unpack this passage because there's a heartbeat for the gift of tongues. And so what we're going to find is that the the gift of tongues loves what I've called four things in this passage. And so we're going to see first the gift of tongues loves to praise God. That's verses 1 to 5. All right, so let me reread this and have that in mind that the gift of tongues loves to find expression to loving God. And we're going to do a little bit of some kind of uh, Bible exploration with this. So uh, we sometimes call ourselves charismatics with a seatbelt, so put your seatbelt on. We're going to kind of work through this a little bit. Here we have, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. Notice that, to God, not to others, not, uh, for no one understands him, understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. 
The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. See, the thing that one of the things we need to kind of address right out of the gate, first thing is kind of be like, okay, where is this whole gift of tongues coming from? <laughs> like, why is this suddenly important in the, in the Bible? Because you're like, if you're reading through, if you've ever read through any portion of the Bible, like the, this thing called, quote, the gift of tongues is just really like not that much talked about. It's not like, um, oh, right, right, right. In the Psalms, we have this gift of tongues and this is how we use it, right? Or even in the book of Isaiah or the prophets, you're not like, oh, right, 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 the gift of tongues, right? That just kind of comes along with what it means to know God, right? Or even in the ministry of Jesus, it's not very often mentioned. Or actually, in the life of Jesus, I can't think of a single mention of where the gift of tongues comes to play. The gift of tongues actually has this whole kind of underlying uh, thread within the Bible that I want to kind of pick up from the beginning and kind of draw us through to see it in the book of Acts and then for our passage here. So... Uh, we just read in our scripture reading for today uh, from the Genesis account with Adam and Eve, right? We're going to go all the way back to Genesis 11 with the Tower of Babel. Who remembers what the Tower of Babel? Anybody? You Bible nerds, you know I'm talking about Tower of Babel. Okay, Tower of Babel happens in Genesis 11. The beginning of the book of Genesis, I know it kind of freaks people out, kind of like, what do we do with all this? The beginning of the book of Genesis, first chapters 1 to 11, is all about answering this question, how did we get here, <laughs> right? Why is it like this? That you might say it like that, like it's kind of like that, like like that dusty like journal from your weird uncle that gives you kind of like the family history. You're kind of like, oh, that's what happened, right? So Genesis 11 is all about this moment in human history where everybody's like all on the same page. They're all a bunch of nationalists. They think we are going to show the world how great we are. We're going to build a whole tower to show how awesome humanity is. We're going to build a tower so high, in fact, that it's going to reach the heavens, and then we're going to place a king on top of it, and then we are going to be the god of the world. Right? That is what the whole thing of the, of the Tower of Babel is all about. So here we have, uh, can we go to the next slide? Genesis chapter, one, or chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. I've kind of pulled out a few verses. Now the whole earth had one language. Did you notice that? One language and the same words. And then they came and said, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we disperse over the face of the whole world, of the whole earth. Now, this is one of those moments in the Bible where there's actually a joke in this, and you don't quite pick it up unless you kind of understand what's going on. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built, right? They had built a tower so high that God was kind of like, what, what's going on? What's going on down there? The, the height of human achievement. Like, he's kind of like, oh, there's, there's something going, there's some noises going down in my, my Lego city down here, and I've got to kind of like stoop down to hear what's going on. God has to stoop down to kind of put his ear up to the Lego people, building their huge tower to the heavens. And so the Lord dispersed them from all over the, all over the face of the earth, and they left off the build, building of the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there, was the, there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them all over the face of all the earth. This is, there's a lot that you could go in here, like parentheses, like if anybody's ever studied linguistics, Indo-European language is kind of like the bedrock of all human language. There's certainly languages that don't have their roots in that, but language all seems to kind of come from one source, and this is the sense in which God says, yeah, you guys all used your language and all your human history and all your human intellect to build a name for yourselves, to displace God from the picture, and God says, okay... I'm going to give you a bunch of different languages so that you can no longer build a name for yourself so that you can't just get trapped up in how great we are, right? So then, right, everybody's tracking, right? Building up a name for ourselves. God's not important. Okay, God comes down and says, actually, I am important. Bunch of languages. Now you're on different teams. Now we come to Acts chapter 2. Can we quote Acts chapter 2? Here we have, after Jesus is raised from the dead, he is building his own kingdom for his name, to build up his name throughout the whole earth, to spread his fame throughout the entire world. And then the Holy Spirit comes, and when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house and where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
Now they were dwelling on Jerusalem, not just as a, a parenthesis. What was going on is like the whole nation gathered everybody together from all different places in one city. So that's what's going on here. Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under the heaven, and as the sound was of the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Next slide. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Uh, you might say, How are we hearing French from, or I'm sorry, this is a bad, how are we hearing German from all those people from Manchester? Right? There actually are people in Manchester that speak French, right? <laughs> Um, And not all these who are speaking Galileans, and how is it that we hear each one of us in our own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents from Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to the Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, what a tongue twister, and we hear them telling in our own language, in our own tongues, the mighty works of God. So here we have at, the, at Pentecost, the reversal of the Tower of Babel. That's, the, that's what's going on here. Because their main point of what they're trying to say is, what are the mighty works of God? Not what are the mighty works of people, not what are the not mighty works of men, what is, the, what is the greatness of America? That's not what they're talking about. They are talking about how great God is, what he's done in saving us through Jesus, how he has redeemed us at, at all costs and surprising to all of human history, right? He has overcome Satan's sin and death, and now we get to have the spirit-led utterance to give expression to how great God is, right? You see that's what's going on. Rather than kind of celebrating who we are, they are using all the, the, the spirit gives them this gift of tongues, to declare the mighty works of God. It is not primarily an evangelistic gift. It is a gift to give expression to who God is and what he's done. Because actually the evangelistic, in terms of sharing who Jesus is and what he's done, Peter comes and starts preaching a message. Right? So that it's about declaring who God is. Right? That's what they're hearing. So we have here, uh, can I pull together these verses from 1 Corinthians 14? These verses that kind of give expression to this. So follow this with me. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. There is something going on where it's primarily the gift of tongues is about praising God, saying who he is and what he's done. Verse four, this is a little bit along the same lines. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. If I'm saying who God is and what he's done, and it's building up my own soul and who God is and what he's done. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. But what am I to do? Verse 15, I will pray with my spirit. Right? There's something going on inside that I'm trying to find expression for, but I will pray with my mind also. Right? There's clarity in your mind, confusion in the heart. I will sing praise with my spirit, but, with my, but I will sing with my mind also. Verse 17, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. What he's referring to here is you may be saying something that nobody else understands. You may be saying, you know, thanks, you know, yabba dabba do but the, no one's understanding what you're saying. But there's something going on in the inside. And then verse 28, the, the, the culmination of this passage we're looking at. But if there is no one to interpret, let each one keep silent in church, right? So this setting, and speak to himself and to God, right? There's something going on in, this, in the gift of tongues where you are speaking to God about who he is and what he's done and praising him and enjoying him. So that's what's going on in this gift of tongues. So here... Back to 14, I promise the other points will be a little bit shorter. <laughs> Verse 3, on the, one, on the one hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the to people for their upbuilding, encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in the tongue builds up himself. Sorry, I meant to say Verse 2. The one who speaks in the tongue speaks not to men but to God, but no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Right? All we're saying right now is that the gift of tongues, loves to praise God, utters mysteries about who God is, exploring the greatness of who he is and what he's done for us. Right? Actually, and when we say the mysteries of God, I'm not saying anything outside of what Scripture has already revealed Jesus to be. Right? So you have Colossians 1. Can we throw this up here? Colossians 1, the, uh, where we get a sense of what the mysteries in the Spirit are, where Paul says here, just kind of dropping down, the mysteries of the Spirit are mysteries hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints 
To them God chose to make known how great among us the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Right? So when Paul's making reference to this gift of tongues giving utterance to something that's true but not quite clear, but it's real about who God is, it is about who Jesus is and what he has revealed himself to be. So you have, right, again, we're kind of jumping all over, but 1 Corinthians 12, 3, right? Therefore, I want you to understand, no one speaks in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, but no one, but no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit's job is to take our hearts and tune them to the praise and glory and goodness of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And sometimes what Paul is saying is that the gift of tongues kind of fills in this gap of saying, there's something about who Jesus is that I, I'm trying to grasp and understand and enjoy and give expression to, but I just can't quite give clear words for that. Which is exactly what we're going to look at here, verses 9 to 19. The gift of tongues loves to find clarity. All right, so let me read verses uh, 6 to 12. We'll kind of summarize these very quickly because they're, they're pretty uh, obvious illustration of what Paul's talking about. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? But even if lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an instructing uh, gives an, an, an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? Right? You think about like the trumpet at the front of the battle line comes out. All right, everybody, nobody knows what to do. Right? You ever been in battle or you kind of studied military history? You know that there's like certain sounds and kind of tunes that they'll play to kind of like okay, da 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 da. All right, everybody, get to the right. Dun dun dun. Everybody, get to the left. Like there's a distinct kind of direction with the sound. Right? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? So, For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, right? We just talked about that with Babylon, or Babel. And none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit... Strive to excel in building up the church. So, Paul is very clear. He's basically saying the gift of tongues is confusing in a corporate setting like this because nobody knows what's being said, right? Right. Nobody actually understands what's being said. It's like me getting up here. Um, I played the trumpet in middle school and high school. I played the trumpet like reasonably well. Like if you know what, like the bands and uh, and the orchestra and all that stuff. I was good enough to be the first second chair or the last first chair, but it was the trumpet, and I didn't care to go beyond that. <laughs> like, I, I knew that if I played the trumpet, like, I, I would have to play like, for 50 hours a week in order to like, move up because the people who were ahead of me were like, ultra good, and I, just, like, I didn't care. Like, I knew there's no career in playing the trumpet beyond high school, and so now I've not played the trumpet in 20 years. <laughs> And so if I got up here and tried to play the trumpet, even though I knew how to play it, it would make no sense to anybody, and you would all think, what is going on in this church? We're out of here, <laughs> right? So no, nothing would make sense with my playing of the trumpet. It is similar to that. That's basically all what Paul's saying. You get out in front of people, you start using an instrument or using a tool that you don't know what you're doing with, and nobody understands. Nobody's going to be benefited from it, and they're all going to be kind of like, nothing really is helpful here. We're out of here. That's what he's saying here. So, that being in mind, verse 13, Therefore, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if I give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone... Uh, in the position of an outsider, say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is being built, not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than, any, than all of you. Nevertheless, in the church, I would rather five words with my, speak five words with my mind in order for, for, to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Right, here is the basic reality of what's going on. He's taught, Paul's talking about something going on in his heart, 
something going on in his mind, and there's a bit of a gap, right? There's something going on of a groaning, a yearning inside to say something about who God is, to say something in prayer or praise to God that the mind is not able to quite give clear expression to. And so that, is called the, that, that can be called the gift of tongues, right? When it's being spoken, but you don't really know what's going on. And then there's this interpretation to come in to kind of give some clarity to that. Bring some clarity for what does that mean? What, is, what, is, what are we praying through? What are we working through inside? And then that, that interpretation is shared with the church for everybody to be upbuilt, right? In the corporate context, in this context, clarity is paramount. Clarity is the most important thing when it comes to the words that we speak, right? That's why it takes a long time for, for guys to get trained to preach so they get up here and they preach and they're like, hey, here are some helpful words about what the Bible has to say, <laughs> And everybody understands them. It's not just kind of like a long, you know, monologue of kind of my devotion with Jesus, right? Similar with the gift of tongues. Now, what I find interesting, did you guys see this? Verse 13, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. That's a weird recommendation, <laughs> right? I'm going to pray in tongues, but also let me pray for an interpretation of the own tongue that I don't understand, Right? It's just a weird orientation, and it's not exactly what you would expect if you're expecting spiritual magic. If you're coming to church for spiritual magic, here's what would happen. Somebody comes up and they pray in a tongue, yabba dabba do. Somebody says, oh, Scooby-Doo is great. You know, like that's not the way to get the tongue works. It can work that way, but it's not going to be about Scooby-Doo. Uh, who even knows what I'm talking about? Young kids probably don't even know what I'm talking about Scooby-Doo, right? Okay, okay, just make it sure, because like, like, that to me is like my childhood, and I realize now that I'm extraordinarily old and bald and that, I don't actually, that people don't actually know what I'm talking about. So, the interpretation can be given to the very person praying in tongues. So, here's what I'm realizing as I'm working through this passage this last week. Tongues is some type of spiritual refining process that the Spirit works in our souls for our encouragement in Jesus so that through the gift of interpretation we can share that specific encouragement with the church. There is some yearning for who God is, knowing him, enjoying him, seeing something clearer in him that you're struggling to find words for, that the gift of tongues can come alongside, but it's not just so that you can have like the spiritual merit badge of like, I, I babble in my prayer closet or whatever. Actually, the purpose of the gift of tongues is to be able to then find clarity for what you're seeing to share with the church. It is similar to, who, if you've ever been to like the Grand Canyon, or if you've ever been to the top of the, of the White Mountains, Mount Washington, or if you've ever been to the top of the Franconian Notch, or you've ever seen a, a baby's first breath, rather they're born, there is something profound in those moments that it is hard to find description to, Right? If you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, I remember the last time Michelle and I, we went before our children were born. Um, and you take a picture, you stand up by the edge, like, take a picture over the edge, and you look at the picture, and then you look at the reality. This picture is insulting to the reality almost. It's so magnificent, so beautiful, so soul-shaping and, and glorious that this little picture that I just took a second ago is insulting to the reality. The gift of tongues is similar to that. When you study who Jesus is and you see his mercy, his goodness, what does it mean that he is an infinitely loving God who comes down, walks on dusty roads, takes on our flesh, and then sits at our tables and eats our sloppy pasta? <laughs> and enjoys it, and enjoys being with us, and enjoys hearing about our days, and then also not only sees the penetrating reality of who we are so that he sees the absolute junk on the inside, and yet he speaks with absolute tender and kind words and says, I love you. I'm covering over these sins and mistakes, and I want to do something with you. There's something about this person that likes seeing the Grand Canyon and seeing that picture that I want to find expression to, knowing him, yearning for him, enjoying him. And then God, isn't this an amazing thing? God gives us this gift of tongues to help us fill the gap so that we go from this, I, there's something about him that I just want to say. 
I don't know how to say it. He's given this gift of tongues so that now I can begin to kind of pray through this fine expression. That's what it is. And now I can share it with other people. Right? So the gift of tongues is not like the spiritual magic wand that we talk about. And we're like, hey, do you pray in the gift of tongues? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if somebody's praying the gift of tongues, I expect there to be something they're going to share with the rest of us that's going to be an insight with clear words to who God is that we can enjoy together. Okay. With that in mind, this next point is not going to be any surprise to us at all. We're going to go at verse 20 to 28, unpack this for a second. The gift of tongues loves to build the church, right? If I'm saying there's this gap, gift of tongues, interpretation, now there's something to share. This is the logic of the passage is going to make absolute sense. What we're going to talk through here, verse 20 to 28, brothers, do not be children in your thinking, but be infants, be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. And the law is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. The t- thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together, like we're doing right now, and all speak in tongues, and an outsider or unbeliever comes in, they will not say that you are out of your minds. <laughs> but if all prophesy and an, un- an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all and is, say- and is called to an account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation that all things be done for building up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let that be two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. There is no one to interpret. Let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So, what is Paul talking about when he talks about sign for unbelievers, sign for believers? So, what he's making a reference to is the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Isaiah, where it says this. Can we throw this up there? For Isaiah 28, 11 through 12, for by people of strange lips and a foreign tongue will the Lord speak to his people to whom he has said, this is, uh, this is rest, give rest to the weary, and this is repose, yet they will not hear. See, there was a moment in the history of Israel where, not one moment, multiple moments, when they were absolutely ignoring God and they were finding their help, life, and direction in everything but God. It could have been religion. It could have been sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It could have been anything else, right? They were finding their direction in everything but God. And God continues to come after them and says, I am your life and joy and satisfaction. And they will not listen to him. And so as a sign of judgment... He's saying, first, Deuteronomy 28, the Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle, and nations whose language you do not understand. So the context is, God is saying, okay, enough of this mess. You guys aren't going to listen to me. You're going to get direction and instruction and correction from these people that you don't even know their language. And so, when we come back to chapter 14, Paul is basically saying, like, in effect, if you're praying in yabbing in tongues in front of the church and somebody who doesn't know Jesus is there, right, just like right now, if that's you, the point of why we don't have tongues <laughs> is to say we want clarity about who God is and what he's doing to seek and save us in Jesus. It is unhelpful. It is actually a sign of, of judgment and confusion for people who don't know Jesus or don't know him yet that there'll be a bunch of yabbing in tongues up here, and it's unhelpful for them to know the clear message of who God is in Jesus. That's all Paul's saying here, right? In terms of, like, what does that mean for the gift of prophecy? Uh, Bauer Evans is going to be here next week. He's going to lead us through the gift of prophecy, so we're just going to kind of put a little period in that, set it for next week. So when it comes to why we have the gift of tongues, right, the gift of tongues is, is for our own souls seeing Jesus loving him, enjoying him. The gift of interpretation gives voice to what those words are saying. And then Paul just gives here, like, here's, okay, here's a couple instructions for how to do this in the life of the church. Somebody's got a tongue, two or three you share. Do it in order. Don't go crazy, right? If anybody's driven in a foreign country, like I lived in Puerto Rico for three years, anybody driven in a foreign country? Uh, some foreign countries, right? It is insane when it comes to driving on the road. The lines do not mean anything, right? I lived in Puerto Rico. 
there were these uh, unique mountains where it was like straight up and you'd have like a lane and a half. And you'd have to like, if you're going around the bend, you'd have to kind of like beep your, cor- your beep, beep your car horn and hope that nobody else was driving around the corner at you and then just kind of like go for it, you know? Or if you're driving on the highway, like the lines clearly didn't mean anything. Everybody was just driving all over the place. Sometimes that happens here in Manchester and it drives me nuts. I have very choice words for these people. There are lines and directions to keep us all in order. <laughs> That's all Paul's saying. You got to get the tongue or interpretation. Here's how we do this together so that the church is built up. Let's end by resting on verse 28, because we're not looking at spiritual magic here. We are looking at intimacy with God. The gift of tongues loves intimacy with God. Verse 28. Let each one of you who has a gift of tongues without an interpretation keep silent in church, and yet speak to himself and to God. At Babel, where man was trying to exalt himself with one language over God, humanity built a mountain to supplant God. At Calvary, God comes down and voices the very heart of man and supplants our sin, the power of Satan, and the world. He comes And he walks up a dusty hill carrying a torture implement on his back and rescues us from ourselves. That is what Jesus does on his mountain. He doesn't exalt himself. He gives himself. He doesn't use his words to get rid of God. He uses his words to plead to God for mercy. So that when he gives us his spirit, we are tethered into, sewn into the heart of God himself to grow in this intimacy of knowing God, to enjoying God, and never being forsaken by God. Right at Babel, we were forsaken. At Calvary, Jesus was. So that now we can yearn to know this God without the fear of being forsaken by him, by some him somehow, oh, you didn't tell me about this on your resume, out. God knows the whole picture, and he desires to know us so that we can begin to grow in our intimacy of knowing him, of enjoying him, of being with him. That's why Jesus, when he came, there's over, you know, all these instances of him having meals with people in the Bible, right? Of him sitting at the tables and getting in trouble with the religious people of the time. Why is he sitting with tax collectors and sinners? Well, it's because when you share a meal with somebody, you get to know them, right? Not only do they have their mouths open or closed when they eat, but you get to talk to them, enjoy who they are, hear about their day. Right, so then now when it comes to us knowing God, we can, we can take these words of, for example, Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Right? Have you ever, ever been on a hike and you're like, I would die for more water right now? That is what this prayer is saying for God. God, I would die for more of you right now. So I have looked upon you in your sanctuary. I have seen your sacrifice in Jesus. I've seen all that you could do for me. I have beheld your power and glory. And because your steadfast love is better than life. Have you ever thought about the frailty of life? And yet we cling to it so deeply during the day. I love being alive. Even in depression, there is a, a use of being alive, alive that is meaningful. And yet God's love is somehow more precious than this yearning to be alive. Yearning to know him and enjoy him is a more fundamental reality of the Christian life. To see him, to see who he is, to see some glimpse of his power and glory, to see what he's like, have you longed to see what it means for this powerful God who upholds 100 trillion, the billion stars, the Crab Nebula, which expands at 70 million miles a day, that he is more interested in hearing your day's events than giving his attention to the Crab Nebula. Have you ever thought that his attention is so fixed on you that he knows the hairs on your head? 
rather than just simply, if I were God, I would be very interested to watch the Andromeda Galaxy personally. And yet he comes and counts the hairs in your heads and listens to your sighs at night and knows every tear that you've cried. That is the God who loves intimacy with you so that he can be your absolute joy in life. So then when we put that into the picture of the gift of tongues, we are simply saying there is something that happens on the inside that is yearning to find expression on the outside. And God knows that and gives us this gift to fill in the gap so that we can then tell people about this God and what he's done for us. That's what we're doing here. That's all we're doing on a Sunday morning. God has gathered us together because he likes to bring a bunch of um, ragamuffin people together and just say, tell them who I'm like. Tell them who I am. Sing about what I am and what I've done for you. <laughs> so if you're yearning for this intimacy with God, let me just simply say, I think that the path for whatever the gift of tongues holds for you is more importantly about growing in your intimacy with God, right? You aim at intimacy, you welcome the gift if it comes, oh shucks, you grew in intimacy with God. <laughs> it's not, the equation's not that complicated, and it's not that spiritual magic. Are you growing to know God more deeply? If you want to, I would say Psalm 63 is a great place to meditate this afternoon. Read through the Gospel of Mark. It's the comic book of the Gospels, right? It's constant action. Listen to who God is. Pay attention to what he's like. If you're looking for books to help you along the way, I'm reading this book, that, um, that illustration of the Crab Nebula. Um, I'm reading this book by... Uh, John Stark, um, The Possibility of Prayer. He's a pastor down in New York City. It's a fantastic book. Jared Wilson, great books as well. Ray Ortland, great books as well. Getting to know who God is. And then just praying. You know what the thing is? Prayer is absolutely free. <laughs> you can grow in prayer by just simply doing it. And then as you're praying, asking God, is there something that you have to show me that you want to share with your people. And that's where the gift of tongues comes in. Let's end with this. Joining God's desire to edify and strengthen his people with specific truths, God gives us this gift. God is present. He loves to be known. And sometimes he gives us the gift of tongues to accomplish this purpose. The heartbeat of tongues is the Spirit's yearning for Christ's glory in and through God's people. So let us, with faith, pursue the gift of tongues to find expression to our intimacy with God. Let's pray. Father, as you have shown us what you're like and who you are in Jesus, I pray that as we have beheld your power and glory, some of us may find faith for this gift of tongues to give expression to who you are so that your people may be built up in Jesus. More importantly, God, we pray that you would grow our intimacy with you that we would know you and enjoy you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. What we've gotten in the habit of doing is uh, doing kind of Q&A. So if there's something I've said or I've overlooked or not addressed from this passage, I'd love to kind of engage a little bit with that. Um, if you don't feel comfortable sharing that, you can text us to Jay. Um, if we don't have any questions, it doesn't mean that it was a bad sermon or that nobody paid attention. It just means that I did a great job. Uh, before we move on to the Lord's Supper, are there any questions that we have um, on this gift of tongues? Yes. Yep. Let me repeat that. So, uh, verse 24. Uh, verse 22, verses, verse 24. I gotcha. So, the question is, chapter 14, verse 22. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. 
And so how can that be a sign for unbelievers and yet for the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself um, when we're saying that basically verse 4, the tongues is a, is a gift for ourselves. So um, to, to revisit that, when he's saying it's a sign, it's not necessarily a positive sign, right? It's a sign of judgment is what I was trying to pull out from Isaiah 28 saying it's a confusing reality and dynamic. And so Paul's saying like, uh, it's not a good thing for this to be um, in your present in the congregation on Sunday mornings because it's a sign that somebody can't know God because that's what's going on in Isaiah 28 and in Deuteronomy is saying um, if something is a sign of judgment, it's a sign that okay God's against you right now, and Paul's saying this gift is being basically having this effect of being utilized as uh, being against somebody knowing God. And that's not what you're supposed to do with it, right? He's kind of, it's, it's, a, it's a negative correction, basically saying like, uh, God's purpose of the gift of tongues is not for you to be judging other people that they can't know God. Does that make sense? It's kind of, it's a weird kind of way, and, and Paul's not always easy to understand, but um, does that make sense? All right, so with that said, any other questions? Yeah, Mike. Yeah. Why languages? Why languages? I, I think just simply because like words are powerful, right? Like words express who we are or what we want. Uh, they, there's a power in. I mean, all people they look at the beginning of John one, the beginning of the Gospel of John, and they say, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God." I mean, I've heard comedians quote that as like, "This is why we do what we do." In the beginning was the Word. Words are powerful. They express who we are, and they say something about us. Um, and the more language, frankly, the more languages you know, you begin to think in different ways. And there's ways in which you, there's ways in which culture is encoded within the language. And so, when we're finding different ways to express who we are and what's going on, I think words give voice to different. Frankly, they give voice to different cultures. So, I don't know if that answers the question totally, but yep. It's a great question. So. Um, the gift of tongues is always listed last, and the point of that is simply to say not so much that like, oh, some people are more spiritual than others because some prophesy and some have the gift of tongues. Remember, the context is the usefulness and encouragement edification in this context, the corporate church. It's not saying some Christians are more important than others, right? So he's saying in verse 3, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their what? Upbuilding, encouragement. And consolation. That's the purpose of Sunday morning, of worship. Upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation in Jesus. So uh, the gift of tongues without interpretation doesn't accomplish those things. And so that's why it would be lesser in the sense. But he's also kind of doing a polemical rhetoric thing where he's saying um, all your spiritual yabbing up front, you're building up yourself. Uh, let me put you in your place. Unless there's interpretation, not helpful. So that's the, the, there's a hierarchy, but it's a hierarchy of usefulness for the corporate worship. So, anything else? I like this. Yes, Mike. Last one. Okay. Uh, any idea why tongues became sort of the litmus test among Pentecostal churches to signal baptism with the Holy Spirit? Right, so the question is, just so everybody hears it, is there a reason why our Pentecostal brothers and sisters use the gift of tongues as kind of the litmus test of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The reason that um, they look at the book of Acts and they see within the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit baptizes people that there's generally, not always, generally the gift of tongues follows that. And some of that is just simply, um, I understand why they do that, but I just think simply uh, you have passages like this where it's like not everybody's going to pray in tongues. And there are some aspects of the book of Acts which when you're implementing, um, an, uh, when you have a management change at work, there's some things that, that kind of like happen that aren't always going to happen moving forward. And so it's similar. Uh, there's been a management change, so to speak, in who governs the world. And the gift of tongues comes in um, in those moments that's not always going to be repeated forever and ever as the mark of who's a Christian, who's not. But um, you kind of have these inaugural parties 
of the Holy Spirit, and the, and the gift of tongues comes out. I think it's over-reading the text to say everybody got the gift of tongues, and therefore all Christians should have the gift of tongues. That's over-reading the passage. Anything else? Yes, ma'am. So the higher gifts, I would say, are the ones that have a higher ability to encourage and strengthen other people in Jesus in the sense of their usefulness in the corporate context. Again, you have to remember, the, the, there's two battlefields that Paul has in mind. Paul is trying to undermine their spiritual showiness as a way of building up their own, you know, they've got all these spiritual merit badges on, like he's trying to undermine that while kind of giving some clear teaching on the, on the gifts, um, and then also bring some kind of semblance of order to their worship service. So the worship service is the, not the Christian life, but this context is what he has in view. And so, for example, in this context, um, somebody giving up and preaching is more helpful and edifying to the church than maybe you know somebody running the sound in the back or whatever. Like... That's not to say that this person is more important, but the words that are spoken here are more helpful for the upbuilding of everybody in Jesus than somebody running the sound in the back. Now Mike's going to turn me off. and <laughs> So it's not that it's not important. It's just that there's a certain level of higher usefulness. Does that make sense? So Matt leading songs up front, more helpful than me singing up front, <laughs> even though I have a lovely singing voice. Um, does that make sense? Is that helping at all? Okay. Any other questions? I knew the gift of tongues would get us going on questions. Okay. Now we're going to t- celebrate the Lord's Supper. Uh, if you have any more questions, honestly, I'd love to engage them. I'm up here afterwards. The Lord's Supper is for anybody who has trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and found eternal life and joy in him. And so if that is you, we would love for you to participate with us. Um, what I'm going to do is we're going to hand out the Lord's Supper. Uh, Jay's going to help me on the left. I'm going to do it over here. And then we will end by singing, um, asking God to give us your heart. If you have a prophetic word or a prayer for the church, the mic will be up front and you're welcome. I'd love for you to share uh, while we sing. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.